0: Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 1115 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcowita.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Cowita. I hope you enjoy this week's message. We started out the series talking about the need to know, understand, and engage with God's Word and how that's a lost art. Uh, today. We then went on and talked about the importance of taking a Sabbath. And some of you guys have reported back to me that you've started kind of doing that, taking a time whenever you're not focused on anything, but you're just focusing on God and really enjoying yourself and what He has created uh, around you. We then went and we talked about how it's important that if you're going to live a Jesus-centered life, that you have to engage. You have to engage the relationship. You have to engage the relationship with Christ. If you don't engage the relationship with Christ It's worthless. There was a lot of people that came to Jesus in his time, and all they did is they wanted something from him. They wanted to feel good about themselves. They wanted to feel good about a circumstance, and they never engaged the relationship. And so at the end, Jesus would say, I don't know who you are. You know, I don't have no idea who you are. You know, I may have blessed you this way or that way, but man, go away from me. I don't even know who you are. And So we have to engage the relationship. And then we talked about serving others, the importance of serving others. We went on from there and talked about how we hear God's Word. How we hear God's Word, and last week we talked about fasting. And I want to tell you a funny story about fasting. Um, I have a close friend of mine uh, who is a pastor in Tennessee, but he was originally from East St. Louis. And he, I don't know if you guys know about East St. Louis. When I say East St. Louis, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anybody in here know East St. Louis? East St. Louis is rough, okay? It is very well known to be rough. And this is way back in the day, East St. Louis, and it was really rough. He grew up there, all right? He was he was a guy who was about 6'5". He was an African-American gentleman, about 6'5", about 330 pounds. He was a massive individual. And he, though, had given his life over to Jesus and... Barry was such a, his name, Barry Cox. He was such a, a, a godly man. He helped with the ministry that I was a part of working with children. And he would actually go to the center of the campus. We had a 260-acre campus. He would go to the center of the campus and he would lay in the middle of the chapel. There was a little white chapel. He would lay face down in there and pray for hours on end. Weeping, crying, giving things over to God, praying for the children, praying for the ministry, praying for his church. That's what he would Do he was a godly, godly man. He had given his life over to Christ after he had gotten married, and it had just done a radical thing in his life. Well, Barry was a guy who fasted often. Okay, so he would go without food often in order to to achieve a spiritual answer to something that he was praying about. And Barry had decided that he was going to go on a fast, and so he fasted. And he fasted the first day. He told me this story; it's very funny. He fasted the first day, and everything went really well. Everything went great. He fasted the second day. That was a Thursday. On the first day, everything went great. Well, on Friday he fasted again, and everything went great. So he hasn't eaten food, or and, and you know he's just had to drink water. He's drank water only for forty-eight hours, and so he decided he was going to do a three-day fast, and so he was going to fast the final day. Part of Barry's responsibility with the ministry, though, was that he would buy supplies for the campus. And on Saturday morning, he and his wife got up, and they got their van, and they got the trailer, and they drove over to Sam's Club, all right? They drove over to Sam's Club, they pull up to Sam's Club they go in and they start buying supplies. They bought plates and they bought napkins. You know, they brought a couple backpacks for the students. You know, they bought all kinds of stuff. They bought large, you know, at Sam's you can get a 5-gallon drum of baked beans. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but you can. All right, you can. And so um and he, they bought all those things. They bought dishwashing detergent. And so they came to a point in the store though and he had one of those long flat things that you get over at Sam's. One of those and he's pushing that. It's not a cart, it's one of those big things. And his wife says, Oh, Barry, I totally forgot. I have to go over. And so she goes over to the other side of the store and she starts getting supplies. And he says, Okay, I'll just round the corner here and get a few more things. Well, he rounded the corner and he ran into the samples. You know, the samples. That long line of heaven that awaits you in the back of Sam's that usually starts with pizza and ends up with something from the frozen section, one of those little puff balls with the cream stuff in it that are frozen. And you don't care at the time it's frozen. You wouldn't eat it like that at home, but it's free. And the old lady's giving it to you, and you're going to eat it. Barry turned that corner, and he said, Mr. Williams, I never knew that a little bitty thing of pizza this big could engulf my senses. And he said I was like a zombie walking over to it. Barry's a godly man. And I said, Barry, I said, "Uh, uh, did you pass it on by, bro? He said, well... And I knew he was messing with me. I thought he was messing with me. He said, well... No, Mr. Williams, I got four or five of them samples. I even went up and got a thing of ice cream on the way out. He broke his fast early. He said, man, I went in there and I bloated. it. I blowed it. I just blew it right out of the box. I heard his exact words. What was that? What was that? What's that all about? What is that? That's happened to you too. I know it has. It's happened to me. It's happened to me too not necessarily about fasting but about a lot of stuff it happens to us it does there's a scripture there's a scripture that says that says this um, it's found in first peter and i'll tell you what it, what it says it basically says it says that that satan he goes around like a roaring lion seeking who me, he, who he may devour is what it says He goes around like a roaring lion. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All right, so I'm kind of a curious guy, so I decided I was going to take a look and see. You may be surprised to know this. Lions are not very fast. Did you know that? You would think, you know, king of the jungle and all that stuff, lions are not very fast. They're not at all fast, actually. As a matter of fact, lions are one of the slowest animals where they exist. They're one of the slowest animals. The animals, the zebra, I could go on down the list. You know, the gazelles, all those animals are much faster than the lion. So, here's what a lion will do. A lion will actually get in high weeds and will walk and look. And when he sees the prey he'll kneel down and he'll wait and he'll watch and here's the funny thing I learned just to show you how dumb some animals are if the lion looks up and makes eye contact with the animal the animal will run if the lion looks up and the animal starts looking at it and it put, turns his head up and doesn't make eye contact the animal will not run it'll stay there Now, how dumb is that? But that's what they do. And the lion knows that. And so the lion stays there and he creeps a little closer and he examines and he watches. He watches really carefully for the weakest link in the whole pack, in the whole herd. He's looking for the weakest link. And he'll maneuver around. And here's the thing he won't do that just for five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. He'll do that for hours on end. He will sit there and creep up a little bit and look up and then look away and then creep down and come over and look. That's what he does. Until finally, at the perfect moment, when the animal is looking off and is not suspecting it, the lion being slower has to be surprised, has to surprise him. And the lion will pounce right at the right time. At the exact moment that he needs to, he will pounce. And that's how he kills his prey. That's how he devours his prey. So let's go back to what we were talking about last week at fasting. And let's read the verse at the very end. At the very end that we didn't read last week, but let's read that verse. In Luke chapter 4, verses 13. Here's what it says. It says, "...when the devil had finished all this tempting..." He's tempting Jesus. Jesus withstood the temptation. And he says, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, it says this. He left him until, and here's the important part, an opportune time. That's what it says. If you have your Bible, if you have a pen, I want you to underline the word opportune time. Or another opportunity. Circle that. It's important, and you may think it's not important, but it's important for your life, and here's why. Satan is a very patient individual, and he doesn't just come at you out of nowhere. He plans, he schemes, and he looks for the opportune time to mess up your life. He does. Right at the right moment, remember what was going on with Jesus. Jesus had been hungry for 40 days. Hadn't eaten or drank anything. And what's the first thing that the enemy does? He comes up and says, hey, if you're God, turn that stone into a loaf of bread. Now why would he do that for? Well, because he's hungry. So the very thing that's lacking, he tries to fill it with something that is false. And what did Jesus say? Ah, uh, scripture says that you can't live on bread alone. You can't live on bread alone. Guys, listen, in our own lives, when are those opportune times? For your, think about it right now. When are those opportune times for you? When are those opportune times for you? I have uh, two people that are my spouse. I have Wendy, who is my real spouse, and I have Lynn, who is my faux spouse, because we argue like, To like a husband and wife. I hadn't figured out who the guy's, whose girl is, but we do argue like we're husband and wife. Friday, I've I've been been worried kind of all week about the smell in here. All right, uh, it bothers me. Uh, I don't like people coming in and smelling things you know that's strong, and I know it'll go away. it's going to go away, but it bothers me. and so all I thought about on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is I wonder how it smells up there and I came in Thursday and it didn't smell too bad, and I was like, "Oh, great, it's dissipating. okay, good because I want you guys to you know some churches are outside in the, in the middle of the heat you know when in Haiti they're in the middle of the heat and they have two fans and they don't care, but we're in America, you know we like a little more comfort. Comfort. and so we've got air conditioners and stuff. A little smell in Haiti. I mean, this, this would smell great in Haiti. Trust me, I've been there. Um, but, but, you know, we want that and, and we, we want to be appealing to people when they come in. And so, but I worried about it and I worried about it and I worried about it. And man, let me tell you something. The enemy knew that. He knew that because on Friday, I had to come up here for something and when I opened the door, the smell hit me in the face. It was back. The smell was back. And man, I was already on edge about the smell, and it just kind of threw me over the edge. It really did. And so I called my second spouse. I'll call him spouse. I won't call him husband or wife. I called him, and he and I got into an argument. It was really more me than him arguing, but anyway, it, it, was, it really was, I'm being honest. And so, and so I had to go back and apologize to him yesterday, because why? Because, of course, if I'm going to do a sermon about opportune times, God is going to immediately throw me in one two days before the sermon. And so that's going to happen, and so that's exactly what happened. What is that? Well, I'll tell you what it was. It was, it was just like Satan was sitting in those weeds, going, Okay, we're going to build this up, because you're worried about this. I know you're worried about this smell. I know you are so we're going to build it up and you're going to come in thursday and it's going to smell like blossoms and rose petals Ooh, it smells so great but on friday you're going to come in and it's going to basically punch you in the forehead with the strong scent with the strong smell and i walked in and i was like ah oh. and immediately stress worry all the way up opportune time opportune time opportune time That's exactly what happened. And guess what? It's exactly what happens to you too. It's exactly what happens to you too. Satan looks for opportune times. Let me tell you some ways, and you can write these down if you have a pen and paper. Here are some times whenever Satan will use opportune times. The first one is this. Right before a great spiritual win, Right before a great spiritual win, there's going to be opportune times when He's going to try to pull you away from that because He doesn't want you to take that new ground. He doesn't want you to take that new thing. He doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to make that sacrifice. He doesn't want you to start doing this. Listen, the last thing Satan wants you to do is to start reading your Bible and to start fasting once every once in a while and to start praying more. That's the last thing he wants you to do. The last thing he wants you to do is start listening for the voice of God. He don't want you to do that. The last thing he wants you to do is start serving others. And so he looks at opportune times when he can mess you up. And usually one of those times is right before a spiritual win. There was a there was a, a, a pastor who I heard this story. It's a great story. The pastor loved to hike and he loved to walk and he loved to run. He was in very good shape. And the pastor went to Colorado. He had to speak at a conference in Colorado and he went out to speak at the conference. When he went out to speak at the conference that Saturday morning, he decided to go for a hike. His wife was in the hotel room. He went and looked and he said, oh, this place is supposed to be beautiful. It's not supposed to be a very long hike. Just go up the mountain. It's a beautiful, beautiful picturesque view. So he decided he was going to go hike. And so he started hiking, took a bottle of water with him. Well, he starts hiking and what he thinks is going to be a short hike is longer and longer and higher and steeper. And he thinks he's lost. And it gets high and he hasn't seen anyone and he keeps walking, he hasn't seen anyone, and he hasn't seen any progress. It just all looks like the same hill step by step and it looks like it's never gonna end. And he decided he went he got to a point where there was a point and there was a curve in the road, in the little trail. He stopped and he was like, This thing is never ending. He just couldn't see any end. And so he said, He said, I'm gonna rest right here on this rock for a second, then I'm going back down. I'm not doing this anymore. And he was kind of disappointed because everybody told him how beautiful it was. About that time, an old man come around the corner. And he looks up at this guy and he's thinking, man, this guy made it up there. And he said, excuse me, sir. um, How much further along is it? And the guy says, oh, my gosh, it's only 20 feet. You just turn that corner. It's right there. He said, what's the point? The point is this. Had I just stopped and turned around, I would have never experienced what it was, the nature of the beauty that God had for me. I would have never experienced that. What is that? Well, it's an opportune time. It's an opportune time that Satan sees to get you discouraged. That, no, that's not going to happen. No, that's not going to happen that way. No, you can't change. Listen, you, you've been raised that way your whole life. You can't make a change like that. You can't do that. That's not who you are. You're this person from that little town that will never amount to nothing. That's who you are. He keeps reminding us of those things. He looks for opportune times right before a huge spiritual win in order to get us discouraged and to get us down. Nehemiah, we just went through the wall, building the wall. Nehemiah, we did, we, it was 18 18 weeks of that that whole lesson one of the things Nehemiah did is this Nehemiah. Right in the middle, you know, right in the middle of those 50-something days, right in the middle, what happened? All the people started complaining. They were working too hard. People started attacking them. And then the guy come up and says, hey, listen, man, a fox can walk on this wall and it'll crumble. What is this mess? And Nehemiah started getting discouraged. What was that? It was an opportune time. Right before a great spiritual win, an opportune time happens. Here's another time. And I want you to write this down too. Right after a great spiritual win. Right after a great spiritual win. See, because right after a great spiritual win, you don't feel like you need to rely on God as much anymore. It makes no sense, but it's how our brains work. Right after a great spiritual win, let me tell you a story. There's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings. It's a story of Elijah, and Elijah is battling the prophets of Baal, okay? Elijah, this one person is battling all these prophets, and they've come down, and they even cut themselves. Is how they worship. They cut themselves, and all these prophets are doing. All these things, trying to make their God, which didn't exist by the way, their God, you know, do this miraculous thing. And they couldn't do it. They tried all day. And Elijah just sat back, kind of smirked, going, until finally he had his turn. And all it took was one thing. He said one thing, and God, boom, made it happen. And man, you would think that Elijah would be walking around like, it's all good. In the hood, I'm all that in a bag of chips. You'd think that, wouldn't you? Guess what happened? Someone pulled him aside and said this. Someone said, hey, they don't like what you did. Our leaders are going to kill you. And you know what he did? He just saw God rain fire down from heaven. You know what he did? He took off running. He took off running and ran and ran and ran until finally he found somewhere to sit down, and he sat down, and he said, just let me die. A day or two earlier, he was telling God, and God was listening to rain down fire, and it happened. And two days later, he was saying, just let me die. After a great spiritual win, we have to be careful. I have a friend of mine, who had always wanted to write a book. He was a pastor. He was a pastor in North Georgia. He had always wanted to write a book. He's a very intelligent man. He has his doctorate. He's a very smart individual. He always wanted to write a book. He wrote a book. He wrote the book, and he let some people read it. They're like, hey, what do you think about this manuscript? Oh, I love it. It's really good. They read the book. They liked it. He decided to find an editor. It just so happens that his wife's best friend worked for a publishing company, and she was an editor, and he wanted her to read the book. They started meeting and talking about the book. The guy's church was thriving. As a matter of fact, it had grown from about 150 to 200 up to 700, 800. The area that he was in was booming. It was getting ready to boom. It really was. People were moving in. Industry was coming in. Everything looked great. He was literally on a spiritual high. He he was a pastor of a thriving church. It was massive. People were getting saved left and right. They were baptizing people almost every week. And he had gotten a book deal. He was on his way, man. That's what he always wanted. The only problem is, is he let his guard down. And he ended up having an affair with the editor who was his wife's best friend. And he lost his book deal. And he lost his church. And he left the county in shame. He left the county in shame. Now he's back in ministry again. He's doing ministry again. He took two years off and and got himself to where he needed to be. His wife forgave him. And a church gave him a chance. And they should have given him a chance. They gave him a chance. And he showed himself. But I'll tell you something. He's never flown as high as he was. What did he do? He let his guard down after a huge spiritual win. That's what happened. What is that? Well, it's an opportune time. It's an opportune time for Satan to come in and attack. The third one is this, and this is so true for everyone in here, and if you say it's not, it's not, you're not being honest. When we are tired, when we are lonely, when we are hungry or when we are bored, is an opportune time, an opportune time. Let me tell you guys something. Guys, if you're riding with your wife, or guys, if you're riding with your girlfriends and you're going on a trip anywhere. And she utters these words. I'm getting a little hungry. Okay. What she really means is, is pull over the car. I'm literally about to die of starvation. That's what she means. That's what she means. Whenever I first got married, like an idiot, I decided that every trip we took was going to be a competition. All right, the competition was this. How fast can I get to where we're going and can I beat last time's time? That's what the competition was. And so I would be like, all right, we're not stopping anywhere. You know, get the jug if you got to use the bathroom. We're heading straight there. And that worked for about an hour, okay? And every guy who's married knows I'm telling the truth. And I'll tell you, we got into the biggest fight because someone was hungry and someone was wanting to get there quick, okay? I have never, listen, I had a worship experience whenever we turned the corner and we saw Taco Bell. I'm not kidding you a bit. We saw Taco Bell and it was like literally two angels were sitting there flying. Go this way, walk in this way, walk and eat. And here's the funny part of the story. She ordered what she wanted, Wendy did, and I ordered what I wanted. And that's God is my, I was hungry too, but I just wasn't saying anything because I wanted to get there. This is a true story. I'm not a real picky guy when it comes to Taco Bell. I like bean burritos with no onion. No onion. So Wendy's hungry. I'm going, fine, just eat. I didn't care what she got, just eat. So she ate all of her food, and so after she was done eating, we were a good 45 minutes down the road, and when I tell you that it was the desolate highway, it was desolate. There was nothing, nothing. She's over there, and I said, hey, can you get me one of those burritos out? Now remember, I want to get there fast, and I'm Mr. Let's Don't Stop. Y'all, I took the biggest bite of that burrito, and it was like someone took a Vidalia onion and shoved it down my neck. It was full, I think it was an onion burrito is what it was. No beans. It was onion burrito. I took that thing and I went Puh! and just spit it out the window straight from my mouth and threw the rest of it, threw the rest of it away. I learned a lesson. Listen, when we are tired or lonely or hungry or bored, we are more likely to give Satan a foothold in our life. I want you to hear that. We are more likely to do that. We are. We need to be alert to those situations. Here's the crazy story about Elijah. And I get this. Elijah just had this huge spiritual win. Elijah then runs away and he's depressed and he wants to sit somewhere and die. So you would think that when, when the angel of the Lord came up to him, he'd say, Hey, bro. You just had a spiritual wind two days ago. Get up and let's go back. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You'd think that's what he would say. He didn't say that at all. Do you know what he said? Here's what he said. Get up. Come over here. I've got something to eat for you and some water. And he got up and he ate and he went back to sleep. And then he got up again. And he ate, and then, after he had done those, after he had rested, after he had eaten, after he had refreshed himself, then, from that point, he got up and walked on his way. One of the things that I've shared with you openly is this. I have life, my whole life, suffered from depression uh, and anxiety, but mostly depression. And I share that openly because most pastors don't share that. And I don't know why they don't share it. They try to hide it, but it's more difficult if you hide it. Listen, it's hereditary for me. You know what I mean? I have a great life, I have a great family. You know, I even have a great dog, okay? I mean, I, I, there's no reason for me to ever be depressed. It's hereditary for me. My, my, my brother uh, kind of suffers from it. My mom suffers from it. My grandmother suffered from it. It's just one of those things that it was like my thorn in the side. I've noticed something, though. I've noticed that if I would just stand, if I would just not make any decisions, if I would just not make any kind of major things, and if I would just let myself go to bed that night and sleep, when I wake up the next morning, it's a whole new world. Have you guys noticed that? It's a whole new world when you wake up the next day. Have you ever noticed that you can be wanting to say something on one day and then you go to sleep and you wake up the next day and you say this, I am so glad that I did not say that yesterday. Why would you do that? Well, because you were hungry, because you were tired, because you were lonely, because you were bored. And that's exactly one of the times that's opportune for the enemy to attack you. That's one of the opportune times for him to attack you. I love taking youth. I used to love taking youth on trips. Um, I'm too old now, but I used to love taking youth on trips. Well, here's how youth trips go when you go to camp. When you go to camp, Monday is euphoric. Everybody loves it. The music's loud. Everybody eats junk. Most of the time, if you've given your kid $30 for the week, they spend 20 on, you know on, on, on uh, Raisinets and, uh, and Mountain Dew and Skittles okay? at, at you know, Joe's Quick Shack on the way down there. All right? And so they're all hyped up on sugar. They're hyped up on everything. And lo and behold, they don't go to sleep on Monday night most of the time. They stay up for most of the time. So by Tuesday, your little angel starts going a tiny little horn right on the top of their heads. All right. Now, if they haven't slept, neither has the has the adults and the adults are old. So they get irritable more quickly. So what started out as a godly trip on Tuesday starts taking a little bit of a turn. By Wednesday, people are starting to they've got a tail, full grown tail and looking for a pitchfork. That's how it is and they get ill. And it's weird because you go to the worship and they worship and everything but they out like little demons. And by Thursday by Thursday there's usually an all out fight by somebody. Okay, that's usually how it happens. And then Thursday night you get some good sleep and you wake up Friday morning and you're ready to be home. That's how the week usually goes. Well I had a student one time that is a great kid. This is a loving kid but it was the, it was the most really um, uh, surprising thing that ever happened to me. I had a student one time that she was so sweet. As a matter of fact she walked through One of our students, she walked with him his whole journey. From the time he was 18, he was diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer, and he died at age 20. And she walked through that every step of the way with him to the point where she was in the room. She was right outside the door when he passed away, and she walked in with his mother She actually ended up giving her whole life to helping serve people with cancer. She actually works at the Cancer Treatment Center right now. She does. That's what she always wanted to do with her life after that event happened. This girl was sweet. I'm talking about syrupy sweet. I'm talking about, you know, k Rose syrup sweet. I'm I'm not talking about, I mean, she was sweet. But we went on a trip one time, and we had a kid, two kids that had to be back by 2 o'clock. And we left at 10 o'clock and the trip was four hours. There was no room for food. Now, I had made large speeches about how you need to get food. Get food if you need it. Get food if you need it. Get food if you need it. Well, she didn't hear that speech and so everyone else had eaten except her. And so around 1130 an hour and a half into the trip, she says, hey um, do you, do you when, where are we stopping to eat? I said, well, as I said at the hotel, we're not stopping to eat. We are going to head on in. Well, by that time of the trip, and if you know about youth trips, there there wasn't an, a scratch of food on the on the bus. Not one ounce of food. There was nothing. Everybody eating everything. You know, even the little food that got stuck in the corners, the kid just kind of plucked that out and that eaten it. Well. I'm not kidding you guys. Her eyes rolled in the back of her head, and she turned into a little demon. And she went off. There were seventy-something kids on this bus. She went off on me. I mean, I'm a fifteen-year-old little, little kid. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a forty-something-year-old guy. And I'm going oh, okay. So she went off on me, and she was so like she was just out of character. And I realized I was like, listen, you know, this is not who she really is. First, I wanted to do is like everybody wants to do. I wanted to kill her. I wanted to little. I wanted to strangle her to the point where I saw the the life flow slowly out of her eyes. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Uh, you know, because that's your first inclination. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to. And so what I did is, is I stopped very quickly, ran in and got her something and came back out. And I was nice about it. But I saw her turn just like that. And I've never forgotten that because I decided that from that point on, we weren't going to do that anymore. And Wendy can attest to this as God is my witness. If you go on a trip with me, we'll stop as many times as you want to. That's the truth. It's the truth. We'll stop. I don't care. We'll pull right over. and Hey, let's get something i don't care what do you want it doesn't matter to me a bit i learned something let me tell you why i learned that i learned that because i have an app called waze w-a-z-e okay you got that waze app if you don't have the waze app you need to get the waze app it's free it tells you where the cops are the potholes are the cars are it tells you everything and so it also tells you this there's a little number and it'll tell you what time you're going to arrive it will Now, I've noticed something. Whenever I'm exceeding the speed limit slightly, all right, trying to get there, when I'm in a rush, when I'm trying to get there, when I'm trying to get there and I'm pushing it, I've noticed something. If it says I'm going to get there at 1030 and I'm really pushing it and I'm really going to it, in a couple hours it'll say 1028. (laughs) And I'm stressing for hours on end and it says 1028. But if I stop and I get a little something and I get back in the car and I start again... It'll say 1033. The most, it'll say 1040. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Is it really worth 10 minutes to be stressed out the whole trip? Is it really worth 10 minutes to have everybody miserable in the car? Is it worth 10 minutes to argue with somebody? It's not. Because... I drove here. It took me 20-something minutes to drive here, and I can't even tell you what I did. I think I put it in drive. I don't know, but it's just so, it's, it's memory for me. It's not worth it. Why is that? Well, because listen, when people are tired, and when they're hungry, and you know, and when you're lonely, and when, and when, when you're, you're frustrated about something, that is an opportune time. Don't let Satan have that. The final one is this. When you begin to decide you're going to change your life, when you begin to decide you're going to change your life and you're going to do the right thing, at that point, Satan will immediately start attacking you. Now, why is that? Well, it's because if you're not wanting to change, if you're doing the same thing you've always done and getting the same results you've always gotten, then he don't care. But if you decide you want to change something about your life, I've told you this before, but let me tell you. If you decide, now we've laughed about this, but if you decide you want to get out of debt, I'm here to tell you something. The transmission's falling out of the car, and it's probably going to happen in the first week. It's going to happen. If you decide you want to stop arguing with your spouse, okay, he or she is going to come in, and they're going to be ill as a hornet, and they're going to pick every push, every button you got. It's going to happen. It's just, that's just reality. That's the way it works. Why is that? Well, because when you decide you want to make a change, when you decide that, well, at that point then you become fair game. And he gets in the weeds, slowly starts creeping, and starts looking around. That's why we said Galatians 6, chapter verse 9 says, don't grow tired of doing what's good. Don't grow tired of doing what's good, because when you, when you keep doing what's good, in the end, you're going to reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest if you don't grow tired. Now, in this series, we've always done some practical applications. And so, get your pen and paper and write these four practical applications down. Here they are. The phrase, I'll be quick. The first one is this. You have to realize these attacks oftentimes will come from the person you least expect it from. Okay? It will come from the person you least expect it from. You with me on that? It will come from the person you least expect it from. You think that the happy jack at work is the one, the guy who's rude to you all the time. You think he's the one that Satan's going to use to attack you. It's not going to be that. It's going to be your wife. All right? It's going to be your wife saying something. It's going to be your kid not wanting to go to bed. It's going to be your, your 15 or 16 or 13 year old teenager. It thinks they know it all. I'm sure none of our teenagers think that, but you know, those on the outside that, that think they know it all, that are going to smart, smart off to you and it's going to push your button. It's going to be those people. It's not going to be the people. Listen, if, if, if some strange person would have, would have told Lynn, you know, uh, Friday about the smell, he'd have said, oh, okay, okay. But it was me. It was someone he didn't expect it from. He didn't expect that from me. And, I, and, I, and oftentimes, I don't expect the attacks, but the attacks come, and they come from people that we're closest to. They do. They come oftentimes from people that we're closest to. Our friends, our family... That's what happens. He uses those oftentimes that are close to you. Now listen, if you're a husband and you're in an argument with your wife and you look at her this week and say, Satan's just trying to use you, don't do that. If you do that, duck immediately because she's throwing something at you. Okay? Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to vocalize these things. You can just just go, you can just think, okay, I know what's going on here. All right? She's hangry. She's hungry, and, you know, she's she's wanting a burger. Alright, that's what she, she's... She's yelling at me, but she's really wanting a hamburger. And so, think about those things. The next thing is this. The answer to the attack, the answer to every attack, is the truth. Now, what's the truth? The truth is the Scriptures. The answer to the attack is the Scriptures. When Jesus was attacked by Satan, you know what he said? He said, oh, I know you say that, but... The word says that man cannot live on bread alone. The word says, the word says, the word says, and that's what he did to the Pharisees and that's what he did all the time. The word says, the word says, well here's the problem. If you don't know what the word says, you are literally powerless to do anything about it. Powerless. You know, you may think, "Well gosh, man, I just I haven't changed a bit and I've got that same sin I've been dealing with over and over again." But the Word says in James that He gives grace upon grace. And that my and that and his his grace and his mercy is new every single morning. And so, yeah, I failed today, but man, I got a new day tomorrow, and I'm going to continue to commit myself until after a while. When I continue to do what's right, I will reap a harvest, is what Galatians six nine says. And so that is what our attitude needs to be. We need to make sure that we know that the third one is this: when you are tempted, you need to look for a way out. Okay, you need to look for a way out. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen says this if we'll look at this. It says this, it says the temptation, a lot of people misquote this scripture by the way. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, well God's not going to put more on me than I can handle. That's not what it says. Because you know what? God does put more on you than you can handle. He already has has put more on you than you can handle. This world is more than we can handle. Death is more than we can handle, and we need Him to save us from what we can't handle. Let me tell you something. When you have a death of a loved one, it's more than you can handle. I'm telling you it is, which is why you have to lean on God and to those people around you that so it's not saying that. What it's saying is this: it's saying that He is not going to allow you to be tempted past what you can handle. Tempted past what you can handle. And if that if He you start getting tempted, he says this: look for a way out. And this is what you have to do. When you're in the temptation, when you're sitting there, I had a guy tell me this one time. He was sitting in a hotel. He was sitting in a hotel room, and and he was tempted to look at pornography. And he was a businessman, and he was sitting, and he was he was tempted to look at pornography. And he was just it was it was bothering him, and it was pulling from him. And he was like, God, I just don't know what to do. And the phone rang, and it was the front desk, and he had a package at the front desk, and he goes downstairs, and it was the wrong room. It was the wrong. Pa- it wasn't even his package. He well, that's not my room. I'm in this room. Oh, I dialed the wrong number at the exact time. At the exact time, exact place when he needed it. Now, here's the thing. You can be like a car going down the road with all the signs, and you can go right through all those signs that says, do not go, you know, like in, in, in National Lampoon's vacation. Don't go this way. Stop. No, and you can run right through those things and go right into that temptation. You can go right into that opportune time. You can do that if you want to. But if you will listen to the little cues, he does it every time, by the way. He does does it every time. The scripture says he does it every time. So you will not go past what you can hold up under. And if you are tempted, you can look for a way out and he will provide you a way out every single time. It's true. You just have to be alert to what that way out is. The final one is this, okay? And this is the best one. You need to expect the attack. Begin to expect the attack. Whenever you're being attacked, begin to expect it. Listen, if, you're, if you decide, hey, you know what? We've got that credit card debt. I want to get out of that credit card debt, you know? I know we don't have a lot in savings, but I want, I want to commit to get out of that credit card debt. If you decide to do that, you need to know. You need to know. Like I said before, you are going to have expenses right off the bat. And there's nothing better than just to go, I mean, you can laugh or cry. Might as well laugh. You know what I mean? Okay, I see it. Of course this is going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. You know, for our teenagers, when you decide you're going to start be- doing better in school. Ladies, when you decide you're going to start better doing better in school, and you decide you're going to commit all your-, your work to school, and you're going, you're going God in school is what you're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. The best looking dude in the class is going to walk up and say, well, what you doing? You know, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. That's exactly what's going to happen. Why is that? Well, because the enemy's not going to let you take back, and here's the thing, and I'm going to lead- learn on this. I'm going I'm I'm to end this right here, okay? Here is the biggest thing that the devil uses. For you, and this is truth, the biggest thing that the devil uses against you, and here it is, is to make you think that he doesn't even exist. Is to make you think he doesn't even exist. That's why the Bible says that we war not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of this dark age. He wants you to think he doesn't even exist. He wants you to think that that transmission falling out has nothing to do with him. He wants you to think that that, that that argument you had has nothing to do with him. And he wants you to think that nothing, nothing, there's nothing spiritual going on here. And the truth of the matter is, is there's always something spiritual going on there. That's the biggest lie of all. That he doesn't even exist. I want to challenge you guys today to be alert. I know we went over a little bit. I want to challenge you guys today to be alert. Be alert to the opportune times of Satan. And you will see yourself grow spiritually and begin to live a more Jesus-centered life. As the praise team comes up, let me pray for you all. Lord, my prayer today is, is that we will recognize the times whenever we are being tempted, those opportune times of Satan that open the door for him to come in to sneak up like a roaring lion and just to watch us and to know us and to see us and to really just uh, observe us and, and to prepare for that pouncing. Prepare for that. He's so patient with us. He just, he waits and waits until finally, bam, it comes right in. Maybe it's in a car, maybe it's in a house, whatever. Maybe it's in school, but that's what he does. Let us be alert to that. And let us be a people that identify yes, the enemy exists. Yes, I'm being tempted. But yes, God provides a way out. And as he does that, as as God provides a way out, we will be really careful to give him the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, let's stand up and let's sing a final worship song. Let's sing. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.